I'm Jason Solomons, and you're listening to November's Sounds Jewish. This month, with the UK Jewish Film Festival in full flow, we turn the spotlight onto film. I speak to Israeli director Ari Folman about his award-winning animated documentary Waltz with Bashir, which delves into the traumas of the Lebanon War of 82. We speak to Seinfeld writer and director of Borat the Movie, Larry Child. I wanted to be a rabbi at one time. I went to my parents and they said, uh, look, forget about that. Just get bar mitzvah, get the money and get out. And finally, the Jewish nerd on film. Where have all the Jewish action heroes gone? Surely we now have an all-action, all-Yiddish hero for the youth to worship. They don't all have to become doctors, lawyers and accountants. Shalom, shalom. Well, neither of my guests in this month's pod have become doctors, lawyers or accountants, much to the displeasure, no doubt, of their parents. Gally Gold, Artistic Director of the UK Jewish Film Festival, welcome. And Rick Cantor, Director of Jewish Rom-Com, Susie Gold, welcome to you both. Nice to have you. Are, you, are your parents still upset that you're not a doctor? The thing is, I am, actually. Not a medical one, but Jason, you could mention that. Sorry, but in very... film, so I think that's OK. Did you it's think that counts? Safe. That's the thing. I think it might be kind of borderline, so we can ignore that. <laughs> of film. That's good to have a film doctor here. We're going to need you today, Gally, to perform some delicate surgery. Rick, are they upset with you? They're always upset with me for something. Um, being a director, probably not so much anymore. <laughs> uh, Gally, we've got you on because the artistic director of the UK Jewish Film Festival deserves a spotlight because the UK JFF is in full swing. Um, it's, uh, it's a kind of a huge festival now. It's its 12th year and it really has grown into quite a major event in the UK, not just Jewish calendar, the UK film calendar. Yeah, I mean, so I hear and we're very pleased about that. And the 12th year, we have a record number of screenings, 66 in fact, uh, across London in 12 different venues. Uh, we have over you know, close to 50 films uh, showing in this festival. And uh, last year, you know, we had the record number of 10,000 people coming to watch our films. So, so yeah. 50 films, Gally. I mean, people will be surprised to know that there's even two or three Jewish films a year, really, if you think about it. So where have you got them from? Um, obviously, anything that has to do with Jewish history, culture, sensibilities and uh, uh, areas of concern that can be a very wide scope of, of issues. Um, so you can find uh, films about the, the Middle East, about the Palestinian in an Israeli conflict. You can find uh, films about um, old diasporas. You can find films that um, deal with, uh, you know, youngsters kind of trying to find their secular Jewish identity, etc. And there is a lot to go on about. Now, do you think that um, Israeli film is kind of experiencing a, a sort of a new wave? I would say that there seems to be a lot of Israeli films in the festival this year, a very strong lineup of Israeli films. Uh, and uh, we mentioned that we're going to speak to Ari Folman soon, the director of Waltz with Bashir, a film that had a great impact at Cannes. For the last few years, Israeli films have been enjoying an international reputation. It's, it's kind of hoiked itself onto the kind of A-list of international filmmaking countries. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, again, it's no longer... Um, that bizarre or maybe kind of uh, uh, hidden cinema. This is definitely, you know, a cinema that Israelis are proud of and a lot of people are interested in. And, uh, you know, one asks, you know, what, what happened? I mean, I remember growing up, you know, in, in Israel in the 80s and um, going to, to see an Israeli film was uh, kind of not the, the right thing to do. Really? Was there a sort of cultural cringe about Israeli film? There was definitely. Mm. There was definitely for a long time. And, of course, people that are interested in film, you know, would go in and watch whatever is out there. And, and then I did watch quite a lot. But it wasn't a popular 
thing to do. And it is now. I mean, uh, Israeli films became a, a, a business, okay? And they became a business in Israel as well. Uh, and that's something very new. And it has to do, you know, with uh, the development of, of, of film schools, with more funds being inv invested in Israeli cinema, with the opportunities given to Israeli filmmakers to train in, 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 in television, etc. So the films you see... Some of them are better than others, but they're all kind of, you know, good production values, nothing to uh, really cringe about, you know, good performances, etc. Well, Rick, I don't know what, uh, about you, but when I was growing up, Israeli cinema meant Radon and Tebi, which we were all forced to watch. Yeah. Because they, they, they sung Hino Martov Umanayim in that, the soldiers, and you kind of, it was all stirring. Uh -huh. And I went to countless birthday parties where they were shown this film. Right. It was like almost to recruit us to go, <laughs> go and sign up. I mean, I'm like 12. I'd be right. no good to the Israeli army. Yeah. Honestly, even now, I'd be I, terrible. I find that hard to believe, Jason. <laughs> what? I, do, I see you as a crack commando. Do you think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I might crack a few people. Uh, what, uh, what did it mean to you as a kid? Um, Israeli cinema? Yeah. Absolutely nothing at all. I, I, I had no knowledge of its existence whatsoever. Um, I think probably my only film that had any Israeli resonance as a kid was, was Exodus, which, of course, was Paul Newman. And, you know, didn't really... Again, was was nothing to do with an Israeli film, really. It was a Hollywood it was version. It was also wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Do you think that the current uh, wave of Israeli cinema is overtly political or is in response to political events? I think it's, again... Nothing is straightforward. I think it's it. You can always make uh, find connections, and I think that it's not a surprise that uh, what we see now with Waltz, with Bashir, with certain features that do respond. But we also, you know, have to ask, you know, how do they do that? What they don't do? What happens maybe in in uh, documentaries that doesn't happen in fiction? Uh, where do people are? You know, what films people are more attracted to? These are not necessarily the more heavy or, or political Absolutely. films. Well, uh, you mentioned Waltz with Bashir there, uh, Gali, and uh, we know it's won six Israeli Film Academy Awards already, and it's a Israel's official entry for uh, Best Foreign Film in next year's Oscars. Uh, I met up with Ari Folman, and just to, to give you some background, the film begins with director Ari Folman himself and his inability to remember his own role as a young soldier in the first Lebanon War of 1982. It was seen by the Israelis as a disastrous war and culminated in the horrendous Sabra and massacres in the Israeli-controlled area of West Beirut. Thousands of Palestinian refugees were murdered by Lebanese Christian phalangists as revenge for the assassination of their beloved President Bashir. In an attempt to unlock his memories of the past, Ari Folman goes on a mission to interview fellow Israeli soldiers caught up in that conflict, and the resulting film, a highly original animated documentary made in the style of a graphic novel, is receiving plaudits from all over the world. It is, I think, a film... More than anything else, it's about where do memories exist after we try really hard to suppress them, and if they exist, if they have their autonomic way of living inside us, or and then they can one day they can just burst out, or they die. I mean, this is what I'm searching in the film. It's a film that covers a lot of ground, I think, in his yeah. history and, and obviously emotionally as well, uh, for, you, your, for you yourself. Um, I just wanted to touch on very briefly, congratulations, because I know Israel has chosen it uh, to, to represent Israel at the, at the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, please, God, that'll, that'll happen and you'll be there. Yeah. Um, Israel has taken this, this film very well, it seems to me. Israel is taking this film too well, extremely well. You know, it's like, now the mainstream, it, it was supposed to be really the ex, this really extreme artistic movie, but now it's like the mainstream of the Israeli industry. So 
look at me. I mean, I'm the, you know, I'm the mainstream guy here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and amazingly, it should, uh, I'm sure it should be a big disputed thing in Israel. There should be a political fury in your film, and they've actually sort nothing. of embraced it's, it. Yeah, nothing. You know, it's like, you know, it's like those teenager kids that they start to rebel, and they have really experienced parents, and this guy comes home, and he's young, and he breaks everything, and they say, okay, now... What do you want for supper? You know, it's the same. And do you think a film like yours, which is anti-war, anti-fighting, if a generation of young Israelis grow up seeing films like yours that are the national cinema, they will have a different mindset, I think. They will be less warlike, won't they? Uh, I think they are growing to be less war-oriented. Mm. I think that people are now more open-minded. The Second Lebanon War showed it big time because people came back home and they started talking. They didn't wait 25 years like us, stupid generation. They didn't need the, the, the generation gap. They came back, they went to be interviewed and they said everything they had to say. And this is, this is, this is a new science for a healthy society. Mm -hmm. And cinema can help this dialogue. It won't change the world, it can help. And Waltz with Bashir is on a nationwide release from the 21st of November. That's nationwide release. Uh, it plays at the UK Jewish Film Festival uh, as well. And you can hear more from my interview with Ari Foreman in The Guardian's Film Weekly Show, which I present on www.guardian.co.uk slash film. But back to Sounds Jewish. Now, you, you've seen uh, Waltz with Bashir, Rick. Yes. What did you think? This was some, surely something you've never seen before. It actually ruined my evening because um, it's you know it's it's a pretty depressing film. I I found it pretty bleak in its outlook. The the memories that come back to these men have troubled them ever since. And you know the great irony, obviously, being that while they're making it, Israel had gone back into Lebanon and were fighting a very similar war again. You know it brought back all the all the questions of Arab-Israeli politics and mm -hmm. war and all the horrors and violence. Well, it, I mean, it's interesting that, as I said to him there, I'd have thought that Israel itself would not be quite so accepting of this. I mean, he thought he was probably a bit more rebellious, but so, mm -hmm. but it has been embraced wholeheartedly by the establishment. Yeah, absolutely. So far, as far as I know, uh, over uh, 100,000 people saw the film since its uh, release in Israel in June, and it's still on in, you know, on general release. There's great interest. It was talked about everywhere possible, not just by film critics. Other parts of media, talkbacks, uh, people talk about this film. It definitely touched a nerve. You have a personal, uh, well, a very, very close personal resonance uh, to this film because your brother was involved in the Lebanon War of 82, was I not? think that, uh, you know, for any Israeli that, uh, you know, grew up in the 80s in, in Israel um, has a strong resonance uh, of this war. This was a very controversial war, as you said at the beginning. This was a war that uh, marked uh, more than the 73 Yom Kippur War, a real rift in, in Israeli society. And, and it had to do with the way that Israeli leadership was was dragging uh, uh, the country into a war that was registered um, later on as unnecessary of, or what was termed as a war of choice. Mm -hmm. So all that is, you know, obviously has a huge impact. Let's look at some of the other films that are in the UK Jewish Film Festival. Maybe they are addressing where are the current politics. The one that our co-sponsors, the Jewish Community Centre, are sponsoring at the festival is Arab Labour, which is a film I, I hadn't heard of before it was included in the festival. In fact, it's a, it's a TV series and, uh, and it was such a 
uh, an acclaimed one uh, shown also in, in various film festivals around the world that we decided to bring it uh, into the, the film the UK Jury Film Festival although it's, so it, strictly speaking it's not a film but it played out over a number of series on Israeli TV absolutely and it won you know best Israeli uh, TV series in the last uh, Jerusalem uh, Film Festival what's interesting is that uh, again it's, it's written by Saeed Kashua who is an Israeli Palestinian Israeli uh, very well known to uh, uh, people who uh, read Israeli broadsheets he is also a, a famous writer and it's all uh, uh, to do with the endless effort of a Palestinian professional citizen of Israel to be a part of this society and his take is a comic take it's extremely witty and yet it touches all the ills of Israeli society you know without giving anyone concession not the Arab uh, part of, of the society not the Jewish part all the stereotypes are there uh, many holy cows are being burnt and I think it's it's it's, it's a great way to do that I think Gali is artistic programmer for the uh, for the festival <laughs> probably meets these political decisions with every time you include one of these films. What's it like? It must be a minefield. It is a minefield, but I think it's an interesting minefield. Again, the main criteria is the artistic criteria, and I hope we follow that. And also that we're not scared of debate. We are not scared of discussion. We are not scared of showing uh, difficult uh, issues Again, as long as we are fair to all sides. Yeah, this there is you what go. We're we're, anyone to... listening to this will be clear that we are not, we're not scared of debate. Uh, thank you very much, Gally Gold. You're listening to the unique podcast, Sounds Jewish, a film special with me, Jason Solomons, my guests, Gali Gold and Rick Cantor. Now, a father figure in current Jewish humour is Larry Charles, a co-writer on Seinfeld, then a key collaborator on its much ruder uncle, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry is also director of Borat, the movie, and he's now behind the forthcoming religious investigative piece, Religious. Directed by Larry Charles, the film features American comedian Bill Maher wandering around the world questioning religious fundamentalists over the logic of their beliefs, from creationist senators and Jews trying to find ways and gadgets to get round the laws of Shabbat. The film, bearing all the markers of Borat without quite falling over so much, is funny, thoughtful, scary and occasionally over the top. Ma makes an excellent guide and Larry can be seen lurking with his camera, asking questions, making remarks and wearing his trademark long beard. But when I met up with Larry on his recent visit to the London Film Festival, I hardly recognised the Jewish comic sage. The famously shaggy beard had gone. Was that a reaction to the probing of religious, I wondered, so heated that he'd had to shave it off as a disguise? Oh, yeah, well, we're not on TV, so you wouldn't even know that, actually. No, yeah, yeah. I had I'm a not, big, luxuriant, rabbinical beard before. I left it up in the room, actually. <laughs> I, I don't always carry it with me. It has its own agent now, the beard. That's right. right. It's being represented now, and it's actually in a development deal. It's going to get a little longer. <laughs> You're going to be going, damn, that beard. <laughs> that, the beard has completely eclipsed me, yes. yes. But anyway, congratulations, Mazel Tov, on, on Religious. Yes. Um, which, well done. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's now it's out there. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of an explosive little bomb of a movie, it seems to me. That was the idea, to throw a little bomb into the middle of this uh, discussion. Uh, it seemed to need it. Uh, it. There was a big gap. No one was dealing with the subject. I mean, since Life of Brian, you're hard-pressed to find a movie that tackles the subject. And uh, when Bill and I got together and started riffing about it and started laughing about it, we were surprised that there was this big gap. And so we decided to step right into the minefield. And 
it, I mean, did you find it was a mindful? Because, I mean, everywhere you went, uh, for sure, people were were kind of sceptical about you. You were sceptical about them. Right. But by the end of it, I mean, most of the people, I think, when, you, when they left the room, as perhaps you will do to me here, mm. they kind of thought, I don't like that guy. Uh, I, I, you know, some people uh, felt that way. And uh, first of all, people didn't know that I was associated with Borat or anything like that. And we didn't really advertise that. Uh, it might have, it might have uh, been difficult to get some of the interviews. Uh, but the fact is that uh, people love to talk about their religion. Mm. And so it's, it didn't take a lot of arm twisting to get people to talk about it. And people also are, uh, you know, there's a lot of human nature involved in this. There's ego, there's hubris, you know, there's delusion. Mm. And so people on camera, they think it's all going well a lot of the time and uh, when by the time they start to get upset it's pretty deep into the interview and they realize that and we we actually realized how little people who love to talk about their religion actually know about their religion mm. that was one of the big startling revelations for us so I mean it seemed to me I thought there would be a moment maybe that you'd have a little epiphany maybe you'd meet someone who was a scholar such a so steeped in their belief in their religion that could actually kind of prove something to you but I get the feeling that while you you journeyed on this kind of your peregrinations around the uh, religious fanatics and believers of the world no one actually managed to convince you well, look, uh, the fact of the matter is that, that no matter how rational or intelligent or mature a person is, at a certain point, if they believe in the talking snake, if they believe the earth is 5,000 years old, if they believe the earth was created in six days, there's no way I'm going to believe that at this point. It's an absurd thing to believe. And what I would wish is for those people to recognize that as well. Do you think that people will? I mean, because there is a, there is a, a slight problem, maybe, because you, you make Borat, and there is a kind of way that because you have the edit, the power of the edit, you are, in some sense, a god in this, uh, Larry. You can edit them, make them look like, you know, schmucks. You can make them look like, you know, that they don't know what they're talking about. Right. You can trip them up and you can put subtitles on them. I can assure them. you that I didn't have to edit to make them look like schmucks. You know, I mean, I really didn't have to do all that much. And everybody, you have the opportunity to edit this as well. Everybody edits everything, you know. All media is edited. All media is manipulated in that way. So uh, as a matter of fact, I went out of my way to not manipulate the footage very much, to let people use their own words to hang themselves. Mm. And they did it very well. Yeah. I mean, there's that wonderful senator who says you don't need an IQ to be in the Senate. Exactly. He was not, uh, there was no arm twisting to make him say that. And in fact, the important thing is this is one take filmmaking. And once he said it, I had to make sure we had it on camera because he wasn't going to say it again. Do you believe in evolution? You know, my, I, first, I don't know. Clearly, the scientific community is a little divided on some of the specifics of that, and I understand that... I don't think they are. No, no, I... Well... I think they pretty much agree. I don't know how it all happened. I mean, I'm certainly willing to... But it, but it couldn't possibly terms. have been Adam and Eve 5,000 years ago with a talking snake in a garden, could it? Well, it could have possibly been that. Come on. I'll, I'll, See, this uh, is well, my problem, yeah. is I'm trying... I mean, you're a, you're a senator. You are one of the very few people who are really running this country. It worries me that people are running my country who think, who believe in a talking snake. Um, you don't have to pass an IQ test to be in the Senate, though. <laughs> It's the reveal shot after yes. to where he's gone. What have I said? Yeah, yes, and there is, there is a lot of that in the movie when people realize how silly they sound sometimes. You know, they don't hear themselves. They haven't really been asked a lot of these questions. Mm -hmm. they, they they hang around people who believe what they believe, and they're all patting themselves on the back. Oh, we believe this. Isn't this great? And then someone comes along and goes, wait a minute, what about this? And they go, oh, I never thought about that before. But yeah, you grew up, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, I think you, were, you grew up fairly 
It's sort of strictly yes. religious. I don't yes. know if you were Orthodox or whatever. Well, I went to an Orthodox Hebrew school. My parents were kind of secular, but the, the Hebrew school in my neighborhood, the synagogue in my neighborhood was Orthodox, and that's where I went to do my Hebrew lessons. Right. And I got very into it. I wanted to be a rabbi at one time. I went to my parents, and they said, uh, look, forget about that. Just get bar mitzvah, get the money, and get out. So uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't find anybody to engage me at that time as a kid, and that's probably what sent me out into the world plagued by these questions. Because you do, I mentioned The Beard, which is now right, doing comedy right. in three nights at the, at the, at the comedy store. <laughs> right. It's, um, you look like a rabbi walking around. Yes, <laughs> yes. Was that, was that, did you think, maybe they won't let me into this mosque if I look like this? Well, it's, it was actually helpful in a lot of places, because people think a guy with a beard probably has some kind of religious affiliation. So they weren't sure what? I didn't look quite like a rabbi. I didn't look quite like an imam. I didn't look quite like Jesus. But I kind of was in that realm. You know, I had the beard, so it helped. It helped to access in a lot of places, actually. So uh, now that I don't have the beard, I can't get in anywhere. Larry Charles there, talking to me exclusively for Sounds Jewish. His film Religious is on nationwide release early next year. Hollywood may be awash with great Jewish directors, producers and writers, but when you think of Jewish actors, you might notice a pattern emerging. Woody Allen probably started it. Dustin Hoffman might have carried it on. Seth Rogen lives on us still. Where are all the Jewish action heroes, the big romantic leads? Are Jewish men just too sensitive, too nerdy, too nebbishy to take on these roles? Comedy writer Ivor Badil himself, a sensitive soul, goes in search of a cinematic role model for himself and for his young son. Back in the 70s, when I was a wee lad at that great bastion of learning known as Northwest London Jewish Day School, me and my becoupled cohorts would often charge around the playground, imagining ourselves to be some sort of macho hero type. One day it might have been the super variety, Superman, Spider-Man, maybe Batman, complete with unironic cartoon sound effects. Well, we were only young. The irony gene doesn't kick in until late teens, I believe. The next day we were Clint Eastwood from Dirty Harry, Bruce Lee from Enter the Dragon, Roger Moore as James Bond, and, and in one case, John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever. You know who you are, Tony Meyer. As I got older, these fantasies adapted themselves to, to make allowances for my hormones, but essentially... What I'm saying is that, as a young Jewish man, my fantasies were much the same as those of any other young male. I dreamt of being a handsome, fit hunk with great strength and powers who women drooled over. Now, incredibly, that's how I've ended up. But at the time, when I started to look around for the Jewish personification of those fantasies on the big screen, they were nowhere to be found. All I had to look up to and aspire to was Woody Allen in Annie Hall and Marty Feldman in Young Frankenstein. Not really the stuff of fantasies, though I did try. However, for some strange reason, when I suggested we play awkward cross-eyed nerd in the playground, no one was that interested. Possibly because it was too close to home, who knows. OK, so there was Dustin Hoffman in Marathon Man, but let's not forget, his character was an academic. The real hard guy was his brother. I mean, I'm hardly going to look up to someone who goes to pieces when they visit the dentist, am I? Big Jesse. Oh yeah, and there was also Ron Jeremy, but the less said about him the better, I think. So... On into the 80s we went, and, and while Arnie was making The Terminator, Billy Crystal was making When Harry Met Sally. When Stallone was making Rambo, Woody was playing the somewhat nebbisher Zelig. And, get ready to boo, folks, while Mel Gibson was making Mad Max, what does our one shining light Dustin Hoffman do? That's right, he only goes and makes Tootsie, doesn't he? Oi! 
But look, all that was eons ago. Fast forward to today, and Lord love a duck if I haven't only gone and got me a son. He's only four, but is already showing all the signs of healthy male fantasies. Thank God. Power Rangers and Ben 10. God, how I wish I'd thought of that. They're his current idols. But were he a little older and a cinema goer, who would his 21st century Jewish archetypes be? Surely we now have an all-action, all-Yiddish hero for the youth to worship, a Hamisher fellow who embodies all their dreams and gives them the belief that they don't all have to become doctors, lawyers and accountants. Well, in a word, no, not really. That was three words. I mean, look around. There's Ben Stiller, whose CV, whilst impressive, is not going to get him cast as the Incredible Hulk, Iron Man or the Dark Knight. I mean, I don't remember seeing his rippling muscles and raw male sweat in the likes of There's Something About Mary, Meet the Parents or Night at the Museum. And in Tropic Thunder, when he finally does look like he's playing a character who wouldn't wee his pants if someone a bit hard looked at him, it's not for real. It's comedy. It's satire. The hunk is bunk. Does that work? Who cares? Then there's the current man of the moment, Seth Rogen. You know, him off a 40-year-old virgin and knocked up. Check him out on Wikipedia and you'll see that his parents met on an Israeli kibbutz. Are there any other sort? And he describes them as radical Jewish socialists. Surely they imbued him with their chalutzic spirit that drove him on to become a man-mountain, an intellectual of course, but one with the body to match. Well, in a word again, no. In a few more, no, 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 God, no. Take a look at him. Curly hair, glasses, pot belly. He reminds me less of Spider-Man and more of Pillsbury Doughman, as seen at the end of Ghostbusters. If he was a crouching tiger, he'd have trouble getting up again. I mean, funny, yes, but all action, do me a favour. And then we come to the final insult, Adam Sandler. Why is he the final insult? Well, check this, people. In his most recent film, You Don't Mess With a Zohan, he plays a Mossad agent who is Israel's greatest hero. Yes, a promising start, but then what does he do? He fakes his own death so that he can pursue his dream of becoming a hairstylist in New York. I mean, I don't remember Rambo rushing off to join the Bolshoi Ballet, and I must have missed that bit in Predator when Arnie decided to go back to college to finish his PhD. So what is my son to do? Where on the big screen is he going to find the secular diaspora Jew who will inspire him to become a macho man of extraordinary power? And before you shout Zac Efron at me, please, I'm told at Pesach he's legless halfway through his first glass of wine. No. There's no alternative. It's down to me. I've got to get into shape and show my boy that us Jews can have bulging biceps and six-packs too. I'll start with some push-ups. Hang on. Oh, oh, I think I've pulled something. I'll just have a little lie down. So do you agree with Ivor there, Rick, that there's a distinct lack of the action hero? Uh, absolutely, but I think it's for a good reason. I think that, you know, uh, movies reflect life and I, I don't know any in real life. I mean, you know, my father couldn't change a light bulb himself and I don't think I ever saw him run, uh, <laughs> let alone play sports or, or, you know, jump out of aeroplanes. Uh, I come from a community that's definitely more based in the mind than in the body. Uh, <laughs> what about yourself? You play football, I know this. Yeah, I play Jewish football. <laughs> It's uh, it's a very, very different game. It's not a spectator sport. It's a lot of whining. Um, it's, it's very enjoyable, but, you know, it's not a sport. As it's such. not as such. It no. doesn't qualify in the highest. Not, in I don't think you'll make the when, when you were making a, a Jewish film here in the UK, and I think that in itself, Rick, is a kind of... Oh, it's, it's such a rarity. It's not a one-off, but every generation has its, has its Jewish film. And you uh, you made Susie Gold here on the streets of uh, my St. Sins. John's Wood for your sins. I mean, you had a, a, a Nebuchadnezzar 
female lead in there. Anthony Silva, I remember Very him good. well. Um, I mean, he was, you know, he wasn't exactly rippling. I felt um, that he reflected a lot of the Jewish boys I knew growing up. I wanted to make a film about identity and... Um, a sort of family drama with a few laughs. Uh, in some ways, the depiction of the family, its identity, its voice, it, the community, I think was fairly accurate. But some of the criticism that was levelled at it at, at, at the time, I don't think was wholly accurate. I think that it was accused of being inauthentic, which I don't think it was at all. No. I mean, I think that it depicted, you know, families like my own quite accurately. Uh, Gally, it does strike me that uh, we're talking here about male, uh, <clears throat> male, male stereotypes. Women never seem to have this problem on screen. I can say that actually in this year's festival, actually, there are, there are several films that are preoccupied mainly with with uh, Jewish women. And that's interesting. I mean, be it like uh, in this uh, teenage comedy, Hey, Hey, Esther Blueberger, it's Australian film all about, you know, a young Jewish teenager trying to come to terms with her Jewish identity. So that's interesting. Well, and we have French there you films go. You see, that brings it all round. There is one. We found her. Hey, hey, Esther Blueberger, which plays as part of the UK Jewish Film Festival. The reason for this special podcast about Jews on film. A special thanks to my guests on this month's Sounds Jewish, to Gally Gold, artistic director of the UK Jewish Film Festival, and to writer and director Rick Cantor. Thanks also to our sponsors, as ever, the Jewish Community Centre for London. For now, from me, Jay. Jason Solomons, and from my producer, Sarah Peters, goodbye. Shalom, shalom.